Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 46, and this is our final Words of Radiance episode. After this episode, we will be doing a general Words of Radiance summary and discussion um, of the whole book, but as far as specific chapter-by-chapter readings, this will be our final Words of Radiance episode. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm super excited to talk about the end of the book. This is my favorite part. I can't wait to get started. Okay. Elliot, how are you? Uh, a little, I might have already said this last time, but a little blown away. A little blown away by the end of this book. It was, it was big. Let's use that word for it. Gotcha. Paul, last week you didn't have, you, you couldn't summarize in two words. Can can you try this time? I can't. I, I can try. Uh, keyword try. Um, that's not one of my two words, but you know, I, I tried to come up with a way to summarize this. So mostly talking about just the last couple chapters here. Uh, I I came up with two words that were rebirth and recognition. Okay, rebirth and recognition. Uh, Elliot, do you have two words for these chapters? So again, this week, I I couldn't come up with some more theme-style words. Although, Paul, I think you did it pretty good justice there. I like those two. I'm really interested to hear what you're going to tell us. But I I decided to pick for two words to describe this set of chapters, not dead. Not dead. Okay. Let's let's use these four words and talk about chapters 85 through to the epilogue of Words of Radiance. All right, Elliot, we can start with you. I assume I know what these what you're trying to say here, but go ahead and summarize what not dead means. So I had to pick not dead because it is crazy how many people are either dead or almost dead or should be dead, and yet by the end of the epilogue, are not dead, or we can make some assumptions are not dead. I I counted it up. I think there's eight people, eight, eight people who should be dead and are not. I can list them if you want, or we can wait for for later. Go ahead. Go ahead and list them. So I'm I'm throwing in this this category, Kaladin, Elokar, Dalinar, Syl, Eshonai, Zeth, Yasna, and then I'm going to sneak in Adolin at the the end there. I think all eight of those people should be dead, were dead, or were very, very close to being dead, and yet by the end of this, every single one of them is alive, such that now at this point, now that Yasna's back, we have not lost one single major character over the course of two 1,200-page books. That is crazy. True. That is, it is crazy, and we'll we'll talk about fake deaths here 
in in a little bit probably towards the end of the episode but it, yeah you're right there are a lot of a lot of fake deaths and back back people that are saved at the last minute that type of thing so but we'll come back to that uh paul you want to talk about your two words a little bit i i will and it, right now i'm going to talk about my two words and right after i actually want to touch on what elliot was saying um just before we move on uh, so my two words were rebirth and recognition most notably rebirth is kind of similar to what elliot was saying with like characters that should be dead but not exactly uh, a big reason is we see a lot more like members of the Knights Radiant pop up here, like a whole lot more. Um, and so I would consider that like a rebirth almost, and we're seeing more of the Knights Radiant. Um, most notably, my favorite one was with Seth um, and how I feel like he's kind of getting a fresh start. It, there's kind of a whole lot going on there, a lot to be said. Long story short, Zeth is kind of getting a new start because he died and then came back, which will be a whole deal on its own. Um, so that was my main reasonings for, for that. Uh, recognition is partly also for Zeth. Um, we have met a S Skybreaker, I believe it was, mm -hmm. who seems to know who Zeth is. To be fair, like, Zeth is kind of well-known, I guess, around Roshar, uh, the assassin in white. He's gained quite the reputation for himself. Um, but there's recognition with uh, him there that I think was kind of interesting. And uh, yeah, but off of what Elliot was saying that I actually really want to ask y'all, I can also ask Trevor because it's not like a spoiler-specific thing or, or anything, but just like the whole like deaths and stories like how do y'all feel about like in general so i i'm i'll tell a little bit of my view first i i was kind of glad when yasna died like that sounds bad but just like i think a good death like an actual death that hurts is like right. really impactful in a story 100% and i, I agree like it was almost a comp out i felt like of not letting anyone die there were definitely deaths that, you know, I didn't want to happen. I thought Zeth was dead. I was pretty convinced whenever he died here that he was dead for good. Um, I will say that that's one that I'm I'm glad he came back. Just because there's... Maybe I'm biased, but there's a whole lot to the storyline that he, like... That needs to still happen with him that hadn't. And so I was glad he wasn't, like, just dead. Because I didn't know how how we get, like, Teravangian and stuff, like, thrown in there, then, if that's, if he's gone. But yeah, I was kind of curious, like, what are your thoughts on the deaths and stories and stuff, and particularly with the books we've read so far? Like, should more people die, or should they all stay alive? Like, So Brandon Sanderson has talked about this himself, being asked about Words of Radiance, and it's one of the, it's one of the, loudest critiques of words of radiance is that there's no real like consequences to mm -hmm. to the story there's a lot of fake deaths as we as we've been talking about and it's i i agree with you that a a good character death scene is really really powerful and really good that and if you take that away you know 800 pages later oh they're not actually dead like a, a big part of who shallan is is because of yasna and what yasna has poured into shallan 
but now that Yasin is back, is is does that uh sour Shalon's journey at all? Like, does that take away from her or and who she's become? There, there's arguments for both ways. Uh, Elliot, what do you think? I think try to formulate my thoughts on this i think like you're saying trevor that i think emotions are really important in a story a a good story is going to hit you in lots of different emotions it might make you angry at a character might make you really excited really really sad and and the character death is is one way that you can hit on some of those you know emotions and it can be really like a turning point in a story but i don't know that i don't know that i would say that characters have to die if if a story is still kind of touching on, on all of those emotions or like in Shalon's case, she has that painful experience of losing Yasna and having to figure out, okay, how do I keep going from here? Having just lost a mentor right after gating her. It, the fact that she's back later doesn't, it, it doesn't cheapen that experience for me um, going through it the first time. It, it now is going to change the experience hundred percent going forward, but that, knowing that the first time having gone through that, I think is, is still there. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll have to talk more about that in our, our retroactive look back episode. Did you guys, did you guys think that, I don't remember who was on which side of the fence here, but one of you thought that Yasna was dead. And one of you thought that specifically she was not dead. Uh, so yeah, Elliot, you thought she like escaped to Shadesmar or something like that, split her soul, however mm-hmm. your theory was there. And, mm-hmm. uh, Paul, you thought she was, uh, she was dead. The, one of the most, one of the ways that you can kind of figure it out as you're going is Stormlight and healing with Stormlight is, you know, that she's a Knight's Radiant. At the time, you don't know the extent of the rules, and can she heal herself? Can she, uh, you know, survive that type of attack? But Shalon says something very specifically to Dalinar as she's revealing herself, and Dalinar is, a couple chapters ago, trying to send her back to the war camps. And Shalon says, I'm pretty sure I could survive a stab to the chest and and be perfectly fine. That's exactly what Yasna uh, suffered on the on the boat. Is they stabbed her through like four or five times, and then apparently she's fine. I I think I appreciated that Brandon Sanderson Brandon Sanderson didn't sell the death too hard. He he very much left it open to, you know, she might be alive. Right. There was no body. There's some reasons to suspect that she's still alive. And I think I like the fact that that was always a bit open-ended because then as a reader, when she comes back, I don't feel like I've been played with, you know, I, I don't, that I've been you know tricked into it that he, you know, told me she was a hundred percent dead and then boom, she's back. It was, it was no, it was kind of more like, Oh, she might be dead. She might be not. And then she comes back. It's like, Oh, okay. She's here. So it's, it was always plausible. So I don't, I don't feel like that was too forced as a plot device if you will so it it worked i think i think it worked i can definitely agree i think if there's a um 
so a lot of times whenever I see like the ending of the book here, like we said, there was no notable death. Probably the most notable is like Royon. Or Sadius. Sadius. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> true. Um, but as far as I guess like good good guys, right? My 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 only like dislike for I agree with Elliot on you don't have to have deaths to have a good story. One hundred percent. I I think the only thing it really adds is like how strong of a force they're up against. I just feel like if none of the characters ever like seem to die, then like what they're fighting isn't like that strong. I, I guess you know it kind of gets like less worried in fights and stuff. Like what's gonna happen? Because I feel like I know what's gonna happen. It's just gonna be um, like a good ending. I I do think that with this. So Trevor, Stormlight Archives is going to be 10 books, right? Yes, and depending on who you talk to, I'm about to spoil something, but the first five are an arc, and the back five are a different arc. There's and, a and time that was exactly skip. what I was going to... I was just going to ask you exactly exactly that. So kind of with that in mind, thinking about the, you know, like a five-book set, if you will, kind of being the story, If you if we take that as the context building here actually might work really well i'm i'm probably gonna look back on this and, and realize how completely wrong i am later but if if he's if he ran slowly that actually might allow him to raise the stakes quite a bit in the latter half of this you know five book series if if in the first few books we don't go through any major character deaths but then all of a sudden in the later kind of half he can he can ramp it up to 11 and all of a sudden you know we're going through that kind of level of things. And so if he does that early, then, you know, it, he can't, he's already kind of used that tool, if you will. So, so maybe that's kind of what he's, he's working with here. I, I will say if we go the entire five book series without losing a major character, that probably would bother me a little bit. If, if our heroes are invincible, right. You know, that's not super relatable and it, it I don't know, but we'll see. I could see him doing this very intentionally. I, I could agree with that. And, and the whole sense that, like, now we've kind of gotten comfortable, but, like, if in a later mm-hmm. book, if someone dies and they're just gone and we're just like, wait, when it, when do they, when's the part where they come back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that would be kind of crazy. So I, I, I agree with you there. All right. My favorite chapter in words of radiance is chapter 85 i think it is so cool the zeth dalinar adolin duel that eight like the way the the chapter opens adolin gets like kicked through this tent and goes like tumbling past dalinar and then he runs like dalinar runs to his side turns around sees zeth dalinar and zeth fight i don't know for a couple minutes I, I I love this chapter. It's so good. There's a really a lot of good quotes, which I'll be reading here in a second. Uh, but I I really enjoy this chapter. What Elliot? What do you? What were your thoughts? I kept thinking throughout this entire chapter that how epic the musical score would be yeah. for this like entire chapter, like from end to end in this chapter. It is you know every single string is 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 thrumming. You know in this this section, this is the adrenaline pumping climax this this was cool this was i definitely agree i'm glad you mentioned music specifically because th- 
with the story that we've had so far, depending on the composer, we would, you know, we would have a Zeth theme and then like a Dalinar theme and a Kaladin theme. And right here, as Zeth is walking through his tent, you could just totally hear the, like, Adolin getting kicked through this tent and the and the Zeth, like, whatever chord is playing. And you're like, oh my gosh. Like the Darth Vader theme, you yeah. know, the Zeth theme comes in. He's like, nah! Yeah. Paul? Exactly. This was, this was definitely the moment I was kind of waiting for. Like, Zeth kind of arrives... Um, it, it wasn't the moment at the end, so normally that's what I'm looking for. But this, in the end of this book, like all of everything going on with like the the whole Oathgate and fighting the the Stormform Parshendi, like just everything is is crazy. But this is like the yeah, like Elliot said, that's a great summary. Like Darth Vader arrives, right? Like um, the main like antagonist um, or or biggest foe to face um is now here and like the potential there especially with the music and stuff like you said is just like through the roof um i i do have to say i i love what has been happening with renarin's character like so even from the start of words of radiance we've seen adolin as fairly major i'd say mm -hmm. but renarin was always kind of on the back foot and I've, he's just steadily becoming more and more notable and doing more things. And I really, like, I really love that. And he's quickly becoming, like, a, a top character in my mind. Um, and I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts about it as well. But that's just something I wanted to point out. I really love, I, I'm a big fan of Renarin and his character. Back when, back when we were in the duel at the end of part three, I think, Elliot, you had an offhand comment that Renarin just got pushed into favorite character territory for you because of what he mm, did yeah. for Adolin and Kaladin in the duel. And uh, we get to see a little bit more progression here. And it's I think it's pretty obvious that we're going to be seeing more of him in the future because at the end of this, it's established that he's one of the four Knights Radiant that are in your theory at the end of the book. So... Uh, what what are your guys' thoughts on you know, Elliot? What are your thoughts on Renarin? As Shalon opens this oath gate, he's kind of freaking out. He's uh, and at the end of the book, he says he's a truth watcher, and everybody asks him like, "What does that mean? We don't we don't know what that means." What, what does that mean? And he just says, "I see." So he, his powers have something to do with vision, and he's like going on rambles, like he's rambling about this the Everstorm as it's coming. What what are your what are your thoughts on some of this Renarin content we have? I did not see this coming. I I might have been like distracted by all the other stuff and what just wasn't really paying attention to Renarin. But like even all the way down to the end, like where he steps up and says, "I'm a truth watcher," was a surprise to me. I was like, "Wait, whoa, what?" I looking back, it's 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 obvious. As you go back and read through these chapters a second time, it's like, "Oh, okay, makes perfect sense." Um, but but I was quite surprised. I did not see this one this one coming. Um, I'm still trying to figure it out because especially in this scene right here. So in chapter 85, towards the beginning here, he's yeah he's rambling. He's like a madman. It, it seems like he's seeing the future, but all he can say is like Everstorm, Everstorm, death, death, death. And, and so it's like what I'm, I'm scratching my head right off the bat here. Okay, what what is he seeing? What are the mechanics of what he's doing here? 
is he actually seeing the future? That doesn't seem to make sense to me because the future he sees is like paralyzing him and everyone's right. That's not what happens, or at least not yet. And so is he seeing like a a further future or was he seeing just like a possibility and Shalon was able to change it by activating the oath gate. So I'm, I'm very, I'm still very confused in trying to process what this means for him to be a truth watcher and what he can do. But, but yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty excited about, by this. You are wrong. He is, er, sorry, you are right. He, that Renarin is wrong. Uh, as he's as he's ranting about this, he's saying we're dead, we're dead, we're dead, we're dead. And right. as we just talked about, nobody dies. So <laughs> we're <laughs> he's he's wrong. But what what does that mean for his powers? What does that mean for how his magic yeah. works? That type of thing. Yeah, like we've gotten pretty comfortable with what Shalon and Kaladin can do at this point, but now we're kind of being introduced to some of the others. Um, I'm very curious to see what all he can do. Because, um, yeah, it kind of drops us, oh, he's a truth watcher. And we don't fully know the, the have a grasp on that yet. Um, I kind of wanted to go back to our, uh, what was it, the page, the Knight's Radiant quiz, and just, like, mm. read about oh, yeah. truth watchers yeah. as soon as I saw this. Um, I did not. Um, I tried to resist a little bit. Um, but he... Yeah, I, I I love this role specifically for Renarin because it seems it seems like it'll be something up his alley where he can have a great range of like benefit to the group. Um but it doesn't seem combat oriented. We haven't seen anything. Um seems more like an intel type right. thing. Like I said, I don't know what a truth butcher is, but yeah, something with like vision, maybe foresight, things like that. Um I'd love to see it kind of prove Dalinar and Adolin wrong. You know, they are very much like they kind of see Renarin, maybe not completely as a failure, but kind of useless. You know, he can't fight. And so that automatically kind of, you know, he's not even in the picture. So for him to be able to now contribute to the group and like be who he is without being a warrior would be really cool to kind of show Dalinar and Adolin that there's more than just fighting that can make you great. Yeah. And I'm really glad you guys are talking about this because the there is an interesting dynamic between Renarin, Adolin, and Dalinar. Dalinar definitely favors Adolin, or at least he seems to, in in these chapters where Adolin's always at his right hand. And uh, Renarin is old enough um, to be fighting. He's the same age as Kaladin. So Dalinar does seem to be favoring uh, Adolin as they're as they're growing up and we'll get more of that later yes we got one out of him paul (laughs) nice (laughs) i mean oathbringer is 1300 pages and you don't think they'll mention you know how how could we not right i mean they just dropped you know a little bomb at the end here oh by the way night radiant there's got to be more coming right I, I also noted here in this chapter, Renarin is is scratching stuff on the on the stone. I don't remember if it's the floor or the wall or whatever he's doing, but it's all it's all zeros. Is Renarin the one that was scratching all of those numbers and dates and bring Dalinar's visions before? I I don't think we get an answer here, but you that's don't. the question I'm asking. Yeah. 
I it very well could be like right now if we had to guess, I would definitely say Renarin. Um just because like all those epigraphs and numbers and things were like found on random items and places like that. Like it wasn't like written down in a book, it seemed like. So I would I would bet that that's the case. Or And they were only they were written in glyphs, which is different than the the written script like script language. So you can kind of assume that whoever's writing that doesn't know how to write, which would mean, you know, any ninety percent of Alethi men don't know how to write. Amaram does though. Yeah, so I, now I'm curious. I some of those chapters I thought had been pretty clear of like Kaladin's guarding the door outside and no one went in and no one went out. It was just Dalinar. And those sections were what Dalinar himself, like on, in a trance writing. But maybe there's maybe there is there's more to this. Maybe it was actually Renarin and that was his power or whatever, his vision of the future that was counting down to that. I don't know. All right. I would like to read a quote that sets up my favorite quote and then my favorite quote in this in this chapter. This is Dalinar and Adolin uh, talking back and forth. Adolin just got thrown through a tent um, over towards Dalinar. Zeth is stalking towards Dalinar and Dalinar turns to Adolin. And he says this. When you take the Princeton son, Dalinar said, don't let them corrupt you. Don't play their games lead don't follow father adolin said his eyes focusing dalinar stood up adolin lurched over onto all fours and tried to get to his feet but the assassin had broke one of adolin's greaves which made it almost impossible to rise the boy slipped back into the pooling water you've been taught well adolin dalinar said eyes on the assassin you're a better man than i am i was always a tyrant who had to learn to be something else but you You've been a good man from the start. Lead them, Adolin. Unite them. The next page, Dalinar and Zeth are fighting, and it goes into this quote. Dalinar's ribs cracked. He grunted, stumbling, almost fa almost falling. He swung his blade towards Zeth, warding the man back, but it didn't matter. The damage was done. He sank to his knees, barely able to regain to remain upright for the pain. In that instant, he knew a truth he should have always known. If I'd been there on that night, awake instead of drunk and asleep, Gavilar would still have died. I couldn't have beaten this creature. I can't do it now, and I couldn't have done it then. I couldn't have saved him. It brought peace, and Dalinar finally set down that boulder, the one he'd been carrying for over six years. Elliot, in your in the outline or maybe in the discord you mentioned that with how this chapter is set up you definitely thought dalinar was going to die and that paul was going to be correct in his prediction and there is a lot of like character resolution there that that brandon sanderson puts in there that he's passing on unite them to adolin and then he's setting down this burden that he's carried for six years of the guilt that gavilar uh that gavilar died he realizes that it wouldn't have mattered that if I'd, if I'd been there trying to defend him, I just would have died with him and he still would have died. So, and then he, he sets down that burden before he goes 
to face death like one final time. But he doesn't die. But I still really like that moment for for Dalinar. As soon as I wrote, read that quote, so that where where Dalinar is talking to Adolin and, and kind of the you know passing of the legacy legacy, I thought for sure in that moment Dalinar was going to die. I was like, this is it. This is it. He's going. And it, you know, it was one of those where you know my reading, I sped up, just you know turn a page, turn a page, and it was like it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And 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 then it didn't. Um, which that was pretty surprising there was the, the twist was that he didn't die in instead. And you're right. He does have very much a character moment here in this, uh, this scene. I agree. I, I also felt the same way. I was, I wanted it to happen only because I wanted my prediction. To be right. <laughs> I did not want to see or actually die though. Um, so I, I was pretty relieved, I guess when he didn't die, but definitely like a great moment and i it also is a testament to delano's character in that i don't know i feel like lots of men in our story would be very arrogant but they're past like oh like i would have been able to take him like the blackthorn you know um but he he's like quick to realize that nope like <laughs> it wouldn't have made a difference and stuff um i i do gotta say this quote was awesome in the moment, but it hurts a little bit reading it now, knowing what Adolin does later. Right. And yeah, we'll talk about that when we get there. But the fact that Adolin is not quite the man that Dalinar thinks he is by the end is a little painful. Yeah. I I do want to talk about that too, because I have had a very specific reaction when I read that uh that last adolin sadia scene for the first time I don't, i'm curious if you guys had the same reaction rounding out chapter 85 uh we have bridge four uh defending dalinar and and adolin and roeon uh going to his death but uh he dies in a way that i think roeon would be proud of because he's and sabariel kind of mentions this before the battle that that Roeon's meant as is known as the coward and Dalinar kind of defends him and says no he's just he's careful but he's not a coward and he proves it here that he's he's not actually a coward or at least not in this moment and he he goes to the defense of Dalinar here I love the bravery of both Roeon and Bridge 4 you know Dalinar you, you we listened to we watched Dalinar fight Zeth and Dalinar comes to the reaction. I think Adolin does too, maybe later. Of there's no beating this guy. This guy is just going to mow through us like a lawnmower to blades of grass. And they all know that. Every single one of them knows that to stand in front of this guy is death. And yet, all the men of Bridge Four and Roeon stand up to protect Dalinar anyway. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. And then Kaladin shows up. How oh, just man. just a just a curious question here. How long do you think it took Kaladin to get from the war camps to Narak? I guess I'm not 100 percent sure how far that is, but you know, a minute or two. Okay, it took them. So it it takes them, it took them what? Like- 
10 days two weeks yeah, yeah something like that like oh. and th their week is their week is five days long and it took them two weeks to get to the to the center so but th that's like a slow army marching pace so, so i i really don't know how far he's going how fast he's going here but it reads as if he's there like you know a half an hour later you know like it it sounds like he's he's pretty quick coming over yeah. here true i i will say like as soon as zeth sends dalinar flying i was like yep this is when kaladin's coming in like it was kind of telltale it was either that or he was gonna die and i didn't think that he was gonna die like by flying off and then plumping to the ground you know um but yeah, it was kind of the cue for for Kaladin's like triumphant entry, which I thought was super super awesome. Um, he kind of like flies in, and and it just says like it gives a great description of of Kaladin and just how like blazing he is and how like bright his eyes are and like just the whole the whole like description I thought was super cool and, and exciting, like a, a great entry. Um, and and it says that Zeth is like showing like. A face of panic isn't he yes uh, he yeah. he land kaladin lands and it describes an emblem almost like a sword um forms underneath him in stormlight and then it evaporates it that's supposed to be the windrunner glyph which is right there uh so it as he lands there's like this glowing windrunner glyph underneath him and can, can, can i just read it because it's so awesome go for it yeah, please do and then, like a falling star, a blazing fireball of light and motion shot down in front of Dalinar. It crashed into the ground, sending out a ring of smoke. At the center, a figure in blue crouched with one hand on the stones, the other clutching a glowing shard blade. His eyes afire somehow made the assassins seem dull by comparison. He wore the uniform of a bridgeman and bore the glyphs of slavery on his forehead. The expanding ring of smoky light faded, save for a large glyph, a sword-like shape, which remained for a brief moment before puffing away. You sent him to the sky to die, assassin, Kaladin said, stormlight puffing from his lips. But the sky and the winds are mine. I claim them as I now claim your life. I got like goosebumps when I read that the first time. That was like, whoa! I got I got goosebumps just now again. Like, yeah, <laughs> I did so too. Um, it's such a good, such a fun, just incredible moment. Probably the... my favorite like description. Now you know the cover of where the cover of Words of Radiance comes. That from. was instantly I... what I thought of. Yeah. Instantly, what I've I been waiting of. for that. I've been this scene on the cover yeah. like wait a second when's that gonna happen <laughs> which yeah, actually so the original fun fact the original cover of words of radiance he's actually holding a sword in this uh in this cover but it's actually factually incorrect he's holding a spear at this point but they said that it would be a spoiler if he was holding a sword so they changed it to holding a spear but he's supposed to be holding Sill, which five minutes later she changes into a shard spear. But that's not actually quite correct at this point because she hasn't changed to a, into a spear for him yet. But mm -hmm. just fun fact. Yeah, that was definitely what I thought of. And, and it, it kind of made that connection like, yeah, 
He's just sword, but like they couldn't put a shard blade like in his hand. That would thing. be too much of a spoiler, right? Definitely, <laughs> definitely would yeah. have been too much of a spoiler. Well, it's kind of like it's kind of like my poster, except way way yeah. more obvious because Moash has a shard blade over here. But it, I mean, yeah. that's that's not a big like a big spoiler. But if Kaladin had a shard blade, that would be a <laughs> yeah, that's a big big deal. Yeah. All right. I need to talk about the Kaladin and Zeth fight because there's an interesting uh, edit that Brandon Sanderson makes in this chapter. And Elliot, you've been, you talked to someone in the Discord about this, one of our listeners uh, in the Discord about this. But in the first edition of Words of Radiance, there is Zeth dies a different way than in everything else printed after that. So in the audiobook, what uh, what Paul, you listened to, is different than what Elliot read. Really? Elliot. Yes, Elliot. How did Zeth die in your version? This was a big surprise to me. I did not realize that this was, was different. So in my book, Calvin and, and Zeth are fighting. Zeth kind of gets to this moment where he accepts that his life has been a lie. And so he kind of just, you know, doesn't block the blow. He's going to let Kaladin kill him. But Kaladin diverts his blow at the last second. And instead of killing Zeth, all he does is cut. And so then Zeth drops the blade that he has and falls into the storm. And Kaladin sees the storm, like, smash him into a plateau. And that's the last that we see of Zeth there. Paul, how does he die really? in your version? <laughs> wow, that is very different, or pretty different. So, so similar start, like, Zeph comes to this moment of, like, basically letting, letting Kaladin kill him. Um, but Kaladin, like, the difference there is Kaladin just kills him, like, with the shard blade, just slices, like, through him i don't know if it specifies where it says it like goes through the spine he, I'm pretty he sure stabs him through the spine is how it yes. yeah stabs him through the spine and then he dies and his body just falls into the 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 storm um, so it just says like his body fell and he his his shard blade also like drops and still says like go get it and he runs down and catches yep. it and fights back up and that's yep. like the last we see so the main difference here it's kind of the the han shot first scenario here <laughs> of the uh so elliot in your version zeth kills himself if you if you want to go that route he deliberately unbinds his shard blade becoming not uh, like losing his windrunner abilities mid-air and zeth falls to his death um in Paul's in the version that Paul listened to, Kaladin takes his advantage and stabs Zeth through the back because he thinks he deserves it. So what are your guys' thoughts on this change? Uh Paul's is so Paul's is the outdated one, and Brandon Sanderson revised Paul's to Elliot's, if that helps you guys. I was gonna ask you that. So so yeah, before we share some thoughts, like it I don't want to use this this term because maybe it's wrong, but I can't think of a better way to phrase this. Is the the newer version the one that I read like 
the official canon, if yes. you will. Interesting. Okay. I I haven't thought about that. So so the big one of the biggest things I wanted to talk about this to y'all like with was that like the fact that Zeth was stabbed through the spine with a shard blade and then like was was healed. Like that's pretty like in absurd like that's on another level than like losing a limb like I don't know something like that and then being like healed. Right. And so I feel like yeah, so I, I was really curious to talk about that. Like, I don't know, how is that even possible? We did, I mean, he was, like, healed, right? He didn't, like, self-regenerate. Correct. Um, so and stuff. Here's what, I'll, here's what I'll say about that. Both are, with the knowledge that you guys don't know, both are plausible in the, ex, the short explanation we get for Zeth's resurrection um, from the guy who gives him the sword. And that's why we're reading Warbreaker. Hmm. Just so you know. I totally, I totally agree with you, Paul. That's probably the biggest question out of this is, yeah, on th- these are two different healing scenarios, right? Because we've been told that shard blades can cut souls. So if you've if Kaladin has cut through Zeth's spine, the the assumption I make from that is that he's severed his soul like from his body or destroyed his soul. And so this healing must be somehow repairing or reattaching his soul. Whereas in the version that I read, that wouldn't necessarily have to be the case. Let's say that, you know, Zeth smashes into plateau. Somehow he's clinging on with 1% of his little life and, and this new shark or skybreaker guy can come in and just physically heal him. If that makes sense. Right. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. The, the other big implication of this, though, is for Kaladin's character. In in my version, it is very clear and hinted at that Kaladin is not directly responsible for the killing of Zeth. Correct. That it is very much, you know, Zeth making that choice and the storm or falling or lack of powers that is the end of Zeth, not by Kaladin's direct hand, which... I think that does have implications for like who Kaladin is supposed to be. He's supposed to be a windrunner who is protecting Correct. At, at all times. And so I and... could see that um, Kaladin you know, actually being the one to kill Zeth could maybe have some problems for him down the road. And so in the version that I read, I could see that as a way of kind of getting around that. Yeah. I'll let you talk Trevor. That's, that's it. In that split moment there, is Kaladin protecting? Is he right. is he still protecting Dalinar at that point? Because the whole reason why he's fighting Zeth here is because Zeth is after Dalinar. At that point, is it Kaladin's duty to just finish Zeth and make sure Dalinar is safe? Or is he is he supposed to try to keep Zeth alive at all costs? Because two two chapters previous, he talks to Moash and says I'm only going to kill in the daylight, and I will do it if there's no other way. Fun fact, they they fly above the storm, and they are in the daylight. That's, that's a little foreshadowing to that scene there. Of They are in the daylight, and in one version, Kaladin 
no longer sees Zeth as an immediate threat and spares his life. In the other version, Kaladin just finishes him right there because of everything that Zeth has done. So there's an argument for both ways, I think. That is very much the the Han shot first moment of the Stormlight. Yeah. Interesting. So some of the other nuts and bolts of of this fight here are are pretty cool. One, everybody and their mother now knows what Kaladin can do. It's no longer a secret. Yep. <laughs> this is out in the open for for everyone to to see, which is is a big step. Also, we learned that Sill does not Sill Sill the Shardblade Sill does not require ten heartbeats to summon. True and. This also gets becomes part of the conversation with Shalon, which we'll talk about maybe in a in a second. But that's an interesting little bit that Sill, I don't remember if it's Sill or Pattern that's explaining this, but the the ten heartbeats is is driven by the fact that they're like resurrecting a dead spren in those ten seconds, whereas Sill is fully alive and so she can form instantly, which is pretty useful in this battle actually, as she's transforming from one weapon to the next as as Kaladin is fighting. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It, it's it's Syl who's talking to Kaladin about how that works. And interesting side note, up until this point, up until, uh, I don't know, about halfway through Words of Radiance, Shallan pretends that it has to take 10 heartbeats to summon her shard blade. And so she's, she's fooling herself into thinking she has a normal shard blade. She, will, she refuses to admit that her shard blade is special that she has powers until about halfway through. And that actually stops the, the reader, you know, isn't really going to notice it because it just didn't mention it, that she has to wait for 10 seconds this time. But there, there's a very specific time where Shalon stops pretending that she has to wait 10 seconds and it actually mentions it. Shalon thinks to herself, wait, it doesn't have to be 10 seconds for me. Does it? And the the comment the the first time reader probably doesn't pick it up, but the the rereader definitely does. That Shalon doesn't require ten heartbeats, but she's purposely lying to herself that it does, so that she can tell herself she's not special. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that more when we get to the the Shalon big Shalon revelation here at the the end. But yeah, interesting details. Any more, th- any more thoughts on Kaladin Zeth fight before we move into more late book uh, Shalon revelations, etc. I think this is actually in chapter eighty-seven, but should probably mention for a little bit Zeth's blade. Mm-hmm. So, Kaladin f- first of note is after Zeth is is dead, right? And Kaladin's like walking back to the the oath gate he has zeth's blade and he's noticed that you know hey because i have zeth's blade he either definitely unbonded it or he's dead or both and so that that makes total total sense there um, but we also learn specifically that zeth's blade truly was an honor blade we had kind of guessed about this earlier 
here's our answer. Very straightforward of indeed it was. And it was the honor blade that gives the powers of the Windrunner. So this is like the herald of the Windrunner's blade, I suppose. Which leads us to an interesting conclusion based off of that. We've argued quite a bit back and forth, Paul and I, a couple different times about whether Zeth is a Windrunner or isn't he. This is our answer, but is it an answer? Like he was he was wielding the Windrunner honor blade, but is he actually a Windrunner? I I don't know. Yeah, he himself so so um I don't know if, if everyone remembers. So I think I was in the camp that he wasn't and Elliot was that he was, I th- I believe. Because I was thinking they had like lashings or whatever in common. But they had a different thing, right? Um, so yeah, so like I would say that he himself wasn't a windrunner, but like he had the honor blade. Um, but yeah, that that was like a, a crazy moment. And I'm I, my big thing now is I wonder what are they gonna do with this windrunner honor blade? Is is it able to like enhance Kaladin in a way, or do they just give it to someone else so they have like two windrunners? Um, or something. So, because because yeah. still also explains that like having an actual spren is better, isn't it? Like it's just a like more of well, it, like you they... use less stormlight and things yeah, like exactly. that for for your abilities. Um, so it's just kind of objectively better. Um, in my understanding. Yeah, I almost say we could settle it on like we were almost both right of. He is wielding Windrunner abilities, but as Syl points out, he's lacking one very important factor, and that is the sprint. He doesn't have that, I think Syl describes it as a check, that the check of having a spren to guide him, which is why he's been so destructive and powerful. If he if he had a spren, the spren would have stopped him from doing all of these things. They would have he would have cut off Zeth power like like Syl did to Kaladin a few times. And I think that just, yeah, it shows you how dangerous the honor blades can be and that for the Knight's Radiant, like there's a process of kind of the Spren selecting the the Knight's Radiant and the Knight Radiant learning their abilities and kind of growing and speaking these oaths that matter. Zeth didn't have to do any of that. He's just given this incredible power with no actual like balance of responsibility or a, a conscience, if you will, in the form of a, of a spren, so maybe we both were right on that one. Pretty much. Close enough. Close enough. The only the only balance that Zeth had was his oath stone, which it given right. given the wrong hands, he just goes and murders everybody, so that's still one I... thing I don't really understand. Is that because he's truthless? Is he given an oath stone so he's like effectively like a, a servant or a slave to someone is that the whole thing there or do we understand Oathstone? it hasn't been explained to you and i don't think it's ever explained as far as i know but from as far as i understand it it's he lives in shinovar he's claiming that the knights rating are returning and uh, he's named truthless because of that, because they don't believe that 
the Knights Radiant are returning. And he is then subjugated to serve the royal family. He is given an honor blade and an oath stone and is told that he must follow his oath stone because he's truthless. And so he's kind of cursed with this, like, serving the um, the royal family of Shinovar, if you want to call it that, that they're they're all, like, farmers and they're, the warriors are the, the weak class, you know, that we, we had that weird Shinovar interlude, but... Yeah, it's not it's not all explained, but from what I understand, he's given the oath stone and the honor blade because he's claiming that the knights radiant are returning. Yeah, so far, I my understanding of it from what we've seen so far is that there's no like mystical force that's forcing him to obey this oath stone. It's purely a like religious belief, if you will, of his. Of right. The 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 shamans of the shin people have punished him and told him here's your oath stone whoever holds this you must obey and and that's all that's holding him to this relationship he has with the oath stone maybe there's more going to be more later but trevor seems like you're hinting maybe there's not even book five is zeth's book and i haven't read it yet and it hasn't been written yet so I was gonna say we're gonna have to wait for Zeth's book. I'm I'm afraid. Um, I am definitely super curious. I I can't help but think that there's more to the Oath Stone, but I think I just need to let it go um, <laughs> at this point. Um, because I, I I agree with you. I don't think that we know there's not like a spren involved here. My understanding or my hope. The the only way I could justify what he had been doing was there was some kind of like corrupt whatever it was called not naho nahiho bond you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that whole thing or some some spren external force really like holding him to the stone or else something like horrible happens or something um and i don't fully think that's the case anymore so i can kind of move past this past that i guess um I, I do have one last question in regards to Zeth and Kaladin both. It's that as I was thinking about all of this and this whole Windrunner honor blade, and, and like you were asking, Paul, you know, who who are they going to give this to? What are they, they going to do with this? What is this going to mean? It got me thinking. Each of the different orders of Knights Radiant, we're told, have two surges. We know that Shallan can soul cast, and she can also... El- Illu- illuminate illusion yeah. i forget what it's called but she can do the whole illusion bit and she can do the soul casting bit what are the two surges of the wind runners do we do we know what this is yet we ha- we know the lashings right we've learned lots about that we've seen lots of details all the way back to the very first prologue where zeth is explaining how the lashings work it seems like all of kaladin's powers up till now could be explained as some version of lashings have we seen him do something else and I missed it? What's the second surge of the Windrunners? Lashings is such like a broad and huge one that like it almost made me think it was just like two. Right? Yeah. Because you can make yourself fly, you can make other things fly, stick to things. You can do so many things, run on walls, like there's so many things you can do with it. It's kind of insane. Right. Um, 
I realize I probably should have asked, been asking this question like 600 pages ago. Why, why is this just hitting me now? I don't know, but yeah, I don't know that we've figured out what their second ability is. Yeah. Well, okay. So with this, the reason why I thought that Kaladin and Zeth had one thing in common but weren't the same was because so we saw Zeth, right? I always think of the scene where is it? Wonder I think it's when he's sent to assassinate Teravangian, um, and then finds out Teravangian is the one who's in charge. Um So so he he's doing the whole running on walls thing and then he's lashing things. Like he lashes the stone like one tenth downward or whatever, which is kinda cool. He like floats down. Whole sure. deal. Um <laughs> But at this point or I think around that point, Kaladin was able to like stick things or do some of the like mild ones, like what is it? Like he would carry his bridge, right? And the arrows would kind of outline him. Yep. Um, but he couldn't, like, actually, like, run on things or, like, fly or, or things like that. I feel like that took him a long time. So I guess I thought of that as a separate thing, mm-hmm. like the whole mobility aspect, um, as opposed to, like, the lashing, like, sticking people to things, sticking items to things, throwing things, stuff like that. So I thought of them as two different things, but those probably are like under the same umbrella so to answer your question we have been told the two the two surges and the lashings are kind of a combination so the two surges that the windrunners have are adhesion and gravitation which means they can control gravity and they can stick things together. So combining those two, you can forms the three lashings of lashing things to other things, lashing things at like reversing gravity for for that thing is another lashing. Um, so combining those two powers kind of form the three lashings, if that makes sense. So Paul, you you are right. They are different. They would just kind of use them both. Yeah, it's like all to used do, yeah. together. Yeah. Like okay. All working together. So there's That's... like another. So just hypothetically, right? Like there's another night or order that has like adhesion and something, then another that has gravitation and something. Correct. Um, Interesting. So I'm curious what kind of combos could go there and stuff. Yeah. But we will find out. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about the Everstorm yet. It's a big, it's a big, uh, it's a big red storm. Green storm. Yeah. So I love the driving the wrong way on a one way street. Yes, it is. I, I love the, the words that Brandon Sanderson uses to describe the formation of the Everstorm. He says, like, I think it's Adolin. He looks over his shoulder and it's if the sky is warping. Like he, he, he uses the word warp, and I think that's a really cool word. That, um, as the red lightning is coming down, it's like bending the air itself, which is really cool. And you're right; it is it is going the wrong way on a one way street. If I I imagine that Roshar 
everything on Roshar is built like this. Like, everything is built for winds coming this way. But now, it's about to come the other way, which, if you look at your map, Elliot, and Paul, which it's out of frame for you, but the Shattered Plains is on the far east side of, of Roshar, and the Everstorm is going east. So it formed on the Shattered Plains, and it left immediately. But, assuming the Earth is round, that's a big assumption, The it'll come over on Aemea in a little bit and hit the rest of uh, Roshar um, from the east side and sweep it like a, a high storm would. So, And... Yeah, assuming a few other things. They they talk about this in these chapters, right? I've kind of They know, do. Oh, did the storms actually go around the that was new information I hadn't thought about before, but that we've learned before that the high storms when they go from east to west, they kind of die out as they go across the land, which is is very similar to how like a hurricane works, you know, the it, it powers up when it's over water and then when, as it travels further over land, it slowly dies out. And so places like Shinovar can grow all kinds of fun stuff because they don't get hit by high storms that they've got a mountain range protecting them and the high storms are just pretty mild by the time they get there if the everstorm works the same way not only is it coming the wrong way it's going to hit that western edge of roshar at like full power areas that aren't even used to having that level of high storms are going to be hit from the wrong direction with 10 times as much force as they've ever seen before right yeah this sounds like a lot of destruction and just imagine from a like a world building perspective if Dalinar is trying to warn the other kingdoms via span read about this they're just gonna think he's mad right like there's there's a red storm coming the wrong direction prepare yourselves they'll just be like what like yeah okay Dalinar. <laughs> yeah okay whatever <laughs> Yeah, they talk, they talk too about how they think the storm is going to be coming soon. I think a couple of different characters are talking. They're trying to calculate, oh, it's going to come back. When's it going to hit? And the answers are all, you know, within a couple of days, it's going to hit. And so I imagine that's going to be a pretty big plot point right off the bat, assuming I guess we pick up in the same time uh, where we left off with uh, Oathbringer. Is, that's going to be something that they're all going to have to deal with pretty quick, is this new Everstorm that's going to be hitting coming the wrong way yeah as far as like storyline goes I don't know what you do with this it's like okay well this storm's just gonna mess everything up like <laughs> just evacuate and I don't know plan to reap I like I don't know what you do you can't you can't stop it I'm assuming like oh and it's gonna turn all your parchment into void bringers just uh yeah oh yeah. bonus <laughs> very fun oh my goodness the the war camps by the end of this book the war camps are pretty much evacuated right they tell everybody to show up to your theory and some some people come some people don't um like sadius comes to the your theory so and then they're able to get there before the everstorm hits so it's i don't know at least five days or so that it's uh that they've been spending in your theory by the end of the book 